A reading from the book of Genesis. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, See, I am now establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, all the birds and the various tame and wild animals that were with you and came out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all bodily creatures be destroyed by the waters of a flood. There shall not be another flood to devastate the earth. God added, This is the sign that I am giving for all ages to come of the covenant between me and you and every living creature with you. I set my bow in the clouds to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will recall the covenant I have made between me and you and all living beings so that the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all mortal beings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Beloved, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism, which saves you now, it is not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert and he remained in the desert for 40 days tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Our brothers and sisters, the gospel of the Lord. There was this um, commercial series about 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember this. This Silverado, Chevy Silverado truck commercial. And uh, <laughs> it was a takeoff. Uh, the, the commercials were titled Tommy. And it was a takeoff of Lassie. You remember that old TV show? If you're my age, you remember watching it in black and white with Jeff, and then it changed the color and it went to Timmy, okay? These commercials were kind of like a takeoff of that. So just like Lassie would come and bark, and uh, Jeff or Timmy's father would say, oh my goodness, and they'd run off and rescue Timmy. 
It was like every episode was some variation of that same theme. Yes? Okay, so the Silverado commercial was the same thing. The truck would drive into the driveway. The lights would go on and off and the horn would blast. The concerned father would come out and say, Timmy fell down a well. And they'd get in his truck and they would go rescue Timmy. And every, every, like every week there'd be another version of this. So the truck pulls in the driveway, the lights are flashing, and the horn is blasting, and the father comes out and says, where did he get a hot air balloon? He'd jump in the truck and go, and one of them was great. The father comes out after the horn is honking and the lights are flashing, and he comes out and says, I didn't even know our town had a volcano. And they get... Well, you know, like... Tommy or Timmy, some of us have a knack for getting in trouble. And just like that Chevy truck, God always has a knack for rescuing us. And if I can be a little more personal on this, some of these stories I've told before, uh, but they apply here. So when I and my brother Bob, if you don't know Bob, he's, well, there he is there. Wave, Bob. That's Bob. Bob's my brother. He works on our media team, and he's just a wonderful person. Everybody loves Bob. When Bob and I are together, I'm chopped liver. Everyone focuses on Bob. But Bob and I were not very good boys growing up. And to make matters worse, our brother Andy, our little brother Andy, was perfect in every way. Bob and I together or separate would do naughty things almost on a daily basis. Uh, we had a weeds behind our house, kind of like a field, and people in those days would dump their garbage, you know, their stuff. And so I went out there one day, and somebody had had a painting project, and they dumped cans of paint in the old paintbrushes. And I took my little brother and sister, and I opened up, and I painted them from head to toe. Two different colors. And, of course, my parents were furious. I mean, it was an oil-based paint. I remember my my mom in the bathroom trying to scrub this. And would you believe the very next day I went out and did the same thing again? My parents were not happy. Uh, and we got punished regularly. And that meant in those days the belt, okay? That's why I would get up in the morning. I didn't know what I was going to get in trouble for because I knew I'd do something wrong that day. So I'd put on extra underwear because I knew, I knew something was going to happen. Or my brother Bob, who's got this incredible mind. I mean, if you know Bobby, he's just, imagination is, that's why he's so good at the media. But as like a 12 or 13-year-old, somehow he found out about a chemical that smells like vomit. And not only did he find out about the chemical, he acquired the chemical. And so there was a Pentecostal church behind our house, and they had a field. And in those days, everybody trusted everybody. You never locked your car. So it was a hot summer night, the cars were in the parking lot, the windows were rolled down, and while they were in there hooting and hollering, Bob went out and sprayed vomit spray in each of their cars. My mom and dad were not very happy. Like the time I took my solder iron to see if it was hot and tested it on my infant sister's leg. She still has the scar today, which she likes to remind me of on a regular basis. But no matter what bonehead thing we would do, and no matter how angry, I can remember our parents being red-faced and not even being able to find the words to express how frustrated they were with the stupid stuff that we would do. I never 
not even once had reason to think that we had crossed the line and forfeited their love. That's because love is dependable, not provisional. And that type of parenting only begins, only begins to mirror the type of unfailing love God has for us. Likewise, in a good marriage, and I emphasize the word good, in a good marriage, the spouses don't need to worry. They don't need to bargain. They don't need to plead for the other to be faithful. They trust in that faithfulness. It's the foundation of their marriage. Even if they have disagreements, even if they don't meet each other's expectations, their love and faithfulness is never in question. That's because unfailing love is dependable, not provisional. Now, if the love of a good parent or a good spouse brings such guarantees, you can rest assured that God's love far exceeds those guarantees. It's always protecting, always trusting, always hopeful. God's love is unfailing. And we have the security in Christ that I can't even begin to explain to you. Jesus said in John's Gospel, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. And in Romans, St. Paul wrote, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Unfortunately, Fortunately, we have too many examples of how poorly we humans love one another. Marriage has failed because of unfaithful behavior. Relationships fail because even in friendship, we can be unfaithful. We've been hurt, abandoned, and rejected too many times to truly trust. Just think, I told you a story earlier how we never locked our cars. Would you think of not locking your car now? My father used to even leave his car keys in the car, and we never had a question that someone was going to come and do something they shouldn't. But today, we are on guard, are we not? We're looking over our shoulder. How many of you have home security systems? Times have changed. And because of those examples and many others of man's cruelty, even man's evil treatment of other people, we have learned not to trust. The world is divided in terms of race, politics, and culture. And because of all of that, it's easy to forget how faithful God actually is. Here's the good news. There will be no need to fear that God will abandon you. God's love is dependable. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. God's love is unfailing. Now, human love is impulsive. God's love is steadfast. Human love is provisional. God's love is dependable. Human love is capricious. God's love is constant. Human love fails. God's love never fails. 
Lee Strobel, who is a popular Christian writer and preacher, was once a avowed atheist. And when he was an atheist, he worked as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he wrote in his book about his conversion, what started that conversion for him. There was a fire in the inner city, and he was assigned to take care to, to write a story about the fire. And so he went, and the people barely escaped with their lives. It was a grandmother and two, two, two granddaughters. And they were put in this temporary home that was two-bedroom. He went to visit them in their little new apartment, and he realized when he walked in there was nothing. There was no furniture. There's nothing on the walls. There's no carpet. There was a card table with a little bowl of rice, and that's all they had. In fact, the two little girls, the granddaughters, 11 and 13, they each had a little dress, a, a short sleeve dress. They would walk to school in the winter, and they had one sweater between them, and they would trade off the sweater halfway through the one sister would give it to the other sister so that they could walk to school. They had nothing, and the little that they had was taken away in this fire. And yet when Strobel went to interview them, the grandmother was so cheerful. The grandmother was hopeful. The grandmother spoke about how God has been good to them, and he just couldn't get it through his head how that, how could this woman who's lost everything feel still that God loved her? She wasn't feeling sorry for herself. She wasn't blaming anybody. She was saying, God is good. It's hard for him to believe. So he wrote a story. And he thought that would be it. But then as Christmas approached, he began to keep thinking about that. It wasn't the fire. That happens all the time in Chicago and these, these areas. It was the irony that these people who had nothing were so hopeful because of their faith. And so it was a slow news day, so he decided to go back and see if he could do a follow-up story. When he got to the little apartment, he was surprised because there was a group of people around the, the entrance of the apartment. He worked his way through, and he walked in there, and his story had really touched the hearts of Chicagoans. And they had flooded this family with all kinds of things, food, gifts. There was a Christmas tree, piles of brightly wrapped Christmas presents, grocery bag after grocery bag. They filled this little apartment with all these goods because they cared for these, these people. That was impressive, yeah. But what was even more impressive was what was going on. Why was there a crowd outside their door? Because Mrs. Delgado and her granddaughters were giving it all away. She was taking bags of groceries and organizing it so they would have a, a balanced bag of groceries, and she was giving it to her neighbors. The little girls were giddy as they were taking these brightly wrapped Christmas presents and handing them out to other kids at the door. I mean, he was just blown away by that. And this is what he wrote. As surprised I was by this outpouring, I was even more astonished by my visit, what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away much of their newfound wealth. When I asked Perfecta why, she replied in halting English, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. She waved her hands over the gifts and said, this is wonderful. This is good. We did nothing to deserve this. This is a gift from God, but it's not his greatest gift. His greatest gift is Jesus. And it was at that moment 
that the heart of this educated, rational atheist began to change. It wasn't the love that Chicago residents showed the Delagos. It was the love that the Delagos were showing the people of Chicago. He says, while I only knew loneliness, the loneliness of ambition, they looked heavenward for hope. While I only looked out for myself, they experienced the wonder of the spiritual. While I was shackled to the shallowness of the material world, something made me long for what they had, or more accurately, for the one they knew. My friends, your God is a God of unfailing love. Don't try to figure out why. Don't try to negotiate your terms of acceptance. Just open your heart and experience it for yourself. Don't take my word. Find out for your own self. During this Lenten season, let us seek to experience the unfailing love that God has to offer us with open hearts. And then, let us try to be better at loving each other. Let the church say,